So I'm sat on the bed with my cup of tea, just letting your eye wander out, out and look across to Morecambe Bay and Hesham. And I kid you not, I saw something on the dist- in the distance and I was just like, that is no bird I have ever seen flying near here. What the hell is that? And it, it kept coming and it kept coming. And it was a flipping pelican. It, and I, I was absolutely floored. I actually couldn't shout down to say, look out of the window because there's a pelican. <laughs> because I was just like, it is, it's not, it can't, no, shut up. And it was, it was a pelican that flew right over the top of our house. And I was just like, that's the most exciting thing that's happened this lockdown, lockdown 3.0. Um, <laughs> and anyway, I text Joe. And I said, you'll never guess what I just saw going over the top of the house. It was a pelican. And then I I came downstairs and I knew, I knew from the look in your eye that you did not believe me that it was a Dalmatian pelican that is now semi-native to the UK for the first time in like 3,000 years or something. Yeah, you you showed me the Google. um, I did, I showed you the Google. That you'd done, confirmed thusly. Did you... Did you look up further? Have we got more pelican knowledge for people who might, you know, spot a pelican and go, nah. I've been at work all day. Yeah, I know. Stick stick in. We may, in future, give more pelican updates. (laughs) It might (laughs) happen. But before we start the episode, if I may, I would like to give a little shout out to Joe and his dominoes. Yes. No, we don't do shout outs. We do because I'm in charge. (laughs) My pelican knowledge and I'm in charge now. You've t- so. <laughs> what you've done is you've taken over my my intro story that happens, and now yes. you're changing the format of the podcast. Just this time, just this one time, because Joe is very kind in sending an extra set of her histominoes um, game for us to play. We bought the Vikings one, as I you did. Yeah, with with both love a Viking, um, mm-hmm. and it's to help get our little one interested in history. Um, and she was very kind, and she also sent the Anglo-Saxon pack as well so just a little shout out to joe so if you want to find her on instagram her instagram handle is at histominoes and you can also google search her products as well i did check this morning you can do that and they come up and so they're they're a fun little card game they come in a pack they're all illustrated and you play it as a game of dominoes you match the pictures it tells the historical story of the Mm. time so yeah just a little shout out to her and her mummy run that's it now people are going to think that we're just one of those podcasts that does 20 minutes of adverts before we start do you know what i don't care (laughs) right hey up i'm joe heathcote and this is consistently eccentric a podcast where i will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from british history focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out so let's get started with well this story today yes takes place mainly during world war Two. Oh god and your three words <sighs> yeah ungentlemanly it was flemish bicycle okay what could i be talking about i know it's not dorothy lawrence yeah no it's not dorothy lawrence we covered dorothy mm. 
Way back when. Way back when. Check the uh, back catalogue, yo. See, you're, you're way too smooth at this. I'm way too yes. smooth. I'm way too smooth well, at this. Well, we're, we're not talking about an English woman. We're talking about an Irish woman. Because Ma- Amazing. Maureen O'Sullivan was born in Dublin. Oh, I know who it is. On January 3rd, 1918, to an Irish journalist father okay. and a German mother. Very nice. Who must have been finding it very easy in 1918 to be in Britain, as was. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. Would, uh, she, <laughs> I could just imagine her just just hoping and praying that her accent changed very, very quickly. Well, as it was, it didn't matter that much because her mother died 15 months after she was born. Oh, that's uh, so sad. Which just so happened to coincide with the start of the Irish War of Independence. Oh, blimey. Maureen's dad, John Aloysius O'Sullivan... Aloysius, that's not a name you hear very often. It is these not, days. but it's it's good. John Aloysius O'Sullivan. He worked for the Nationalist paper, the Freeman's Journal. Mm. He was an editor, so he's quite high up in it. This paper featured in James Joyce's Ulysses. You know that book that everyone says is amazing, but no one's read. No, I thought that was Don Quixote. Oh no, that's the that's, that's the, most, the published. most published novel. Yeah. Ulysses is that one that's very dense and very. Um, sort of poetic and very... I just imagine people using it as a doorstop. It would be big enough. Mm. Uh, the paper called for a negotiated peace in the Irish War of Independence uh, and all that did was make them an equal target for both the polarised nationalist and unionist forces. So there were people saying it needs to be a free Ireland mm-hmm. and they had loads of support. Yeah. There were other people saying no, Ireland needs to be run by Britain. They had loads of support. Gosh. And the poor old Freeman's Journal in the middle were going... Couldn't we all just find a way to get along? Is and this, they both turned on that. Is this a, a forerunner for the IRA? This this is the thing that created the IRA, okay. the, the War of Independence. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, after the success of the War of Independence and the creation of an Irish free state, so Southern Ireland as mm-hmm. is, the readership of the moderate Freeman's Journal dwindled and it finally stopped publishing in 1924, shortly after the end of the Irish Civil War which had begun almost immediately after the end of the War of the Independence. So Gosh. they had a War of Independence. Yes. There was an Irish Free State created, but it spilled directly into a civil war. Because, you know, if you create a new state, you also create a fa- power vacuum. And all of those people who fought will want to try and take control of the thing that they've just created. Yes, Plus the people on the losing side were thinking, well, while they're fighting, we'll try and gain back what we've lost. So... Yeah, it created this cluster smudge of a situation. Um, in all, the two wars claimed the lives of approximately 4,000 people, including over 1,000 civilians, and much of this occurred in and around Dublin, where John and his young daughter Maureen lived, including, and I didn't know about this until I read this up, the 28th to the 30th of June 1922, when the pro-treaty forces used cannons to bom- bombard the Four Courts building that had been occupied by rebel forces. And this was right on the Inns Quay in central Dublin. So during this war, there were literally cannons being fired in the centre of Dublin. Gosh. Which is just... It's the equivalent of if we had a war, you know, people firing cannon at the uh, Salford shopping centre because it had been occupied by rebel forces. That's just... You know, that's sort of in that much of a populated district. There's, there's still a lot of heat in there. There's still a lot of heat about this. Well, no, because the two wars ended in May... No, yes, there is. No, they ended in May 1923, and Ireland has never had any issues with the British ever again. 
I'm pretty sure. I may need to do some more research, but I'm pretty sure that was an end of it. You say with massive Tongan cheek. It is it is so far in my cheek, it's basically up to my eyeball. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it was at this point, after the two wars, that John Aloysius decided that his daughter would be safest outside of Ireland. Um, yeah, I think... It, it, it had taken two separate wars. Yeah, I th- I, do you know what? I think I'd bail at that point as well and I, go, do you know what? Me and my young family and all that, it's not... I may have it. bailed before the end of the second war, I well, think. Well, yeah, okay, maybe I wouldn't. But then he's a journalist. Mm. But don't forget, yeah. well, yeah, I suppose. You know, I mean, there's a lot to report if you've got... Mm. What? Sorry, that's my stomach gurgling. Mm. How horrendous. Um, yeah. Um, well, John John Aloysius to... decided he was going to stay, actually, but he okay. sent his daughter to live with her aunt in Belgium. Okay, so not not England, then? No, 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 he sent her to Belgium. Belgium, okay. Mm. Maureen, she went to school in Belgium, and as a result, she was able to speak English, Flemish, German, and French. She was multilingual. Yes. Then, in 1939, when Maureen was 21... The Second World War broke out in Europe, as you know. Mm-hmm. Belgium had decided to stay neutral, which would not work out for them come 1940. Nope. Turns out that any kind of um, pact or deal that you might strike with the Führer, it was more a vague guideline for him than an actual binding agreement. Um, but it didn't matter for Maureen, as she was by this time working as a nurse in Highgate Hospital in London. So she finally made it to, to England. To England. Um, as you would expect from the daughter of an Irish nationalist and a German mother, yes. she did not sign up to fight for the Allies. Right, okay. So she didn't, she didn't fight against Germany. Well, she had a German mother, didn't she? Yeah, she did. And her dad was, although a moderate Irish nationalist, was not particularly pleased with uh, English interference in Ireland. No. So it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and she, she didn't fight for the Allies until July uh, 7th, 1941, when Maureen signed up for the Women's Auxiliary Air Force as oh, an aircraft handler. They are my favourite women in history. The Auxiliary Air, the auxiliary the air Force. The Women's Auxiliary Air Force okay. are my favourite women, apart from the Lumberjills. What about the VAD, the Voluntary Aid Detachment? They were pretty cool. It's, no, they don't quite do it, not quite the same... Is the no the the auxiliary air the women's auxiliary air force are my absolute favourite. The WAF. The WAF um, followed quickly by the Lumberjills. Yeah. Well, I can't tell you much about Maureen's career in the WAF. But Why she, not? I want to know about planes. Brevity mainly, but she must have been good at handling aircraft. Well, they mostly were. She was an aircraft handler who was amazing at handling aircraft because she was soon promoted to a section officer. Oh, that's not as exciting, though, is it? Her story gets exciting. Why do you always... You always assume that I'm not going to pay off the lead-in because, in these because things. Because I'm the daughter of somebody who worked for British Aerospace, so... Are you sure you can say this? The Official Secrets Act is in play here. It is in play, but I can say that I am the daughter of somebody who worked there, so I really like planes what what did he work on can you tell me some of the engine specifications no i can't tell you any more than that okay for ages when i was little i thought dad was a secret agent because Mm. he couldn't tell me what he did Mm. either that or he was a philanderer i'd love the fact i'd love it if he was a secret agent Mm. 
your dad and James Bond. The two two images do not. <laughs> I love your dad. I think he's a great person, but I also think he would make a terrible spy. Especially as, as our would children I. call him Pooh Bear. Yeah. Special Agent Pooh Bear. Well, can we get back to Maureen and her handling Sorry, of aircraft? Maureen and her planes. So you're saying handling aircraft's boring? No. Even if you're a good aircraft well, handler? It's it's No, I just mean, you know, she's she's been part of the WAF, she's great, and now she's been promoted. That usually means you go into an office. Well, not for Maureen, because <gasps> it was at What's this point do? that Maureen... And from this point, we will not be referring to as Maureen anymore because she picked up a nickname. Why? Because it's the military okay, and everybody gives you a nickname. Okay. And I'm going to oh, give you... No, no, no. I want, I want to guess. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a clue and then you guess. Okay. So yeah. the nickname yeah. may have something to do with where she was born. Oh, I know who, I know what it is now. Go on. Because she could only be called one thing. What? Paddy. Of course. So she, she will from this point be known as Paddy O'Sullivan. Aww, I was going to guess. I thought may, maybe she might have been Busty. <laughs> Busty St. Clair. <laughs> Busty O'Sullivan. Or I don't know, what what else would they call her? I don't know. They, they had some amazing lines like Bunny and Binky and... Well, they're normally cont- contractions of the name. Reeny she'd be. Or the Reen. My great aunt was called Reeny. She was Irene. And everybody that's, called her Reenie. That's great information. It's like an episode of Who Do You Think You Are down here today. <laughs> Sorry. But because Paddy O'Sullivan had been doing such a good job of handling those aircraft and yeah. shown that she had safe safe hands, yeah, she was contacted. She was tapped up by yeah. members of the Special Operations Executive. Oh, what were they doing? Well, the SOE. Oh, I have heard of that. It was the brainchild of one Winston Churchill. Oh, that'll be why. And it combined a network of existing secret departments with the explicit purpose of supporting sabotage and resistance in mainland Europe. (gasps) It will come to have many cool names. Okay. The Baker Street Irregulars, Mm -hmm. Churchill's Secret Army. I have heard that. And this is the best one the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. That one's definitely the best. Yeah. So it was basically um, all of the sort of subterfuge spy operations mm-hmm. that we had under one umbrella, all working in concert to try and disrupt mainland Europe. Oh, she was an agent. She may, well, you don't know, she might just be handling their aircraft. We've not got to what she's going to do yet. Oh, she's definitely going to be an okay, agent. Okay, well, Hugh Dalton, the Minister of Economic Warfare. Yeah. I mean, the Minister of Economic Warfare, that's a cool job. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that's ministry or minister, it tends to go into a little bit Hogwarts. I know, but it? of economic warfare, because I understand that's about trying to manage the you, the you, supply of funds and money and stuff. Absolutely. I imagine him with a gun that fires pennies at high speed out of a, an umbrella. You know, it's, it's, see, the minute you say ministry, it's either Hogwarts. Or it's it's all like secret agent cloak and dagger and walls that aren't really walls and the secret cupboards filled filled with guns and I've watched far too many films because they're my favourite type of films. So it's going to be a bit more rough and ready in this story, but still maybe not sleek. I've seen pictures of Paddy. She is amazingly good and competent woman. She can do a lot of things that I could never hope to do. But sleek is not in the parlance of describing her at all. That's very sad. Just competent. She is ridiculously competent. Okay, I do like okay. that. Okay. So um, 
Anyway, Hugh Dalton, the Minister of Economic Warfare, he was mm-hmm. put in charge of the SOE and Winston Churchill gave him one simple instruction. Mm-hmm. Go and set Europe ablaze. Mm. Which is a pretty cool instruction to get, isn't it's it? It's very Churchill, isn't it? Especially at that time. But he was he was doing basically finance. You know, they gave him a quick cool name. He was an accountant. And then he gets called into Winston's office and he gets given this order. That must have been a good day for Hugh Dalton. You can imagine he yeah. walked out of there and he was doing the uh, hands as a gun. <laughs> he had a great time. Dalton decided to use the tactics of the newfangled IRA as a model for the new organisation. Oh, gosh. Oh. Ireland itself was neutral during the war, although Irish people could choose to fight if they wished, and 5,000 members of the newly formed Irish Defence Force chose to enlist. Right. After the war, when they returned to Ireland, unfortunately, they faced discrimination and were barred from government jobs until they were formally pardoned by the Irish government. In 2013. <gasps> yeah. So by following your conscience and going and fighting against... Because it wasn't... Well, it wasn't necessarily fighting for England. It, it was fighting against fascism. It was fighting against fasc- fascism and the freedom of people that had had it taken away from them. And, yeah. you know, the, the horrors. I mean, we all know the horrors of um, what the German... No, mm. no, let's say that right. What the Nazis did. Yeah. So these people fought out of a conscience um, and they were fighting with the English because who else were you going to fight with at this point? Most of Europe had been overrun. Yeah. And they were ostracised for it when they returned. That's horrendous. Now, you remember I said about uh, good old Hugh Dalton, the accountant turned new super spy. Was he an accountant? Was he a financial advisor? He was both. Okay. He was double boring. Well, double boring. <laughs> by the time Paddy was approached to join the SOE, yeah. he'd been replaced. Bless oh him. Gosh. It turned out that an accountant wasn't the person you wanted to run your spy ring. Yeah. Uh, and he was replaced by, and I'm not making this name up, this is a person who existed, Major General Colin McVean Gubbins. I mean, the only way that would be better is if it was Veen McGubbins, but it's McVean Gubbins. <laughs> do you think that's where the phrase McGubbins comes it, from? That's because you know, that's, not a, very, checked, that's but, yeah. a very northern thing to say. McGubbins. Is McGubbins as kind of a person, or, you mm. know, McGubbins over there. I wonder if that's where it came from. It, well, his, his, his name he would is have been ridiculous Major on General, every level. He would have been Major General Colin, uh, Colin Gubbins. So it would be... Mug, MG. Mug Gubbins. It may be. We, we need to look into <gasps> we that need further. To Google that. That is not verified. I can't Google. I'm using my phone to read the script. Oh, very sad. I know it, it pulls back the veil that this is scripted. But... <laughs> Only Joe's bit is, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't need to point that out. Yeah. Everybody knows that. <laughs> so, unlike, unlike um, you know, poor old Dalton, who'd mm. only really got to grips with a particularly tricky spreadsheet. Oh. McGubbins, as we're going to call him. <laughs> McGubbins. He had fought on the British side in the Irish War of Independence. So yeah. he got an idea of what guerrilla warfare was. He was at least understanding of the general principles. Was he semi-competent? He was semi-competent, yes. Okay. Now, as McGubbins. you can imagine from someone who I've already said is, is competent in um, Paddy. Yes. She passed the intelligence and resource tests with flying colours. Do you want to know some of the things it included Go to on. pass the test? If you want to be a spy, 
Some of the things she had to prove she could do. Yeah. She had to prove that she could do tree climbing. Very important for a spy. Got to be able to climb a tree. Yeah. Tightrope walking. It's another one. What? She had to prove competence in tightrope walking because it doesn't come up a lot in James Bond movies. But <laughs> oh, ever. He's always got really fancy shoes on. They're so slippy. That's why you've got to be an expert tightrope walker. I you... never got that about James Bond. He can do all of these things. In a in dress shoe. Bloke's dress shoes. Yeah. It irritates me and irks me. I can't. That's why I can't watch James Bond films. The dress shoe. The dress that's, shoe. That's your issue with it. <laughs> little bit of background i did main uh, men's fashion design as my degree so i noticed these things and and that irritates me no we were both very happy when we saw that when um what's his face became doctor who yes i can't remember his name now angry scotsman became doctor who he was wearing a low-key shoe with a doc martin capaldi yeah peter capaldi became Doctor Who, he was wearing a Loki dress shoe, but it had a Doc Martin soul on it. That's a sensible soul yeah. for action. It was. And he was a good action. I liked him. Very good. I was going to call him Lewis Capaldi, but that's completely different. That's a different, that's a musician. That's a musician. Anyway, <laughs> should we get back to Paddy? Because yeah, okay, she's, she's in. We've left Paddy. She's past a tightrope walking. Good God, what's she doing next? Well, no, th- th- those were the only two I put in because they were the most ridiculous. But oh, right, okay. <laughs> she was then asked to join F Division. Which, Female? No, no. Females. It, it's it's as simple as that. Okay. Uh, which would mean that in post training she would be parachuted into occupied France. France, yes, uh, to provide support to local resistance groups. Okay. Her training lasted most of 1943. Okay. Is she actually going to see any action. At this oh. point? Well, she was reported during training to yeah. not show any enthusiasm for firing guns, and. While she quickly picked up on the theory of bomb making, it was reported, and this is a direct quote from her sort of, um, you know, assessments, mm-hmm. the noise upsets her. It would upset me as well. She she can make you a good bomb, but she yeah. needs to be a safe distance because she doesn't like hearing it. No. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, who who likes the noise of a well, bomb? You'd you be know, more worried if you were training someone to make bombs and they were going, and she really likes it. A lot of people are sound averse, Joe. Mm. Is all I'm saying. I, in fact, I go so, I go far enough to say that if somebody was actively enjoying the sounds of bombs going off, yeah, but also you might you've got to remember in her childhood what she experienced there, and could be bringing back some childhood trauma. Yeah, well, of the cannons going off in Dublin. The cannons going off mm. in Dublin, yeah. Yeah, but even though she was scared by the sounds of the bombs, she was definitely brave. During her first practice parachute jump. The first man up to jump out of the plane flatly refused. <laughs> Great start. Yeah. So that's that's going to fill you with confidence. You're like, well, I'll watch this person do it and then I'll get... Mm-hmm. And th- that person goes, oh, God, no. No, I don't want... <laughs> Have you seen how high it is? I can... I can... I'm, I could die. I can see the clouds below me. Yeah. There's a, there's a bird. <laughs> is it a pelican? I've, ne- I've never seen the top of a pelican before. <laughs> Um, so the first guy, he refused. And then the girl in front of her broke her leg. How? Paddy was unfazed. She completed three jumps that she needed to be past her safe uh, on the landing. I'm guessing either she pulled a chute too late or the chute oh. didn't open fully. Or just one of those really annoying things where you sort of, as you land, mm. you take one step forwards, your ankle goes into a rabbit hole, yeah, you yeah. twist it awkwardly. But, yeah. Oh, my God. Right. You know. 
There's all all the weird things happen. Yeah. So by March 1944, she's ready to go. Very good. It's the tail end of the war. It's mm-hmm. the sticky sticky end of the war. It's, we're going to be retaking um, Europe any day now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was transported to the secret SOE airfield in Tempsford to await her flight. The airfield had first been offered as a secret airfield to Bomber Harris as a potential site for the Bomber Command. Mm. but he had rejected it as it had a tendency to flood mm. and it'd be a bit of a pisser if you've arranged a super secret super cool bomber mission with your bouncing bombs yeah. and you can't take off because it's a bit damp a bit muggy yeah you you can imagine you get your bomber out and it starts to go and power up and then the wheels just start spinning oh yeah because it'd be oh it'd be one of those really beautiful bombers with yeah the, oh with a double propeller and then you've got sort of like all the all the wafts trying to get bits of carpet under the wheels yeah. to try and get it to go and giving it a little bit of a bump start to try and get it moving down that field because yeah, you know it'd be the waft doing that oh yeah they'd be the ones getting covered in mud yeah um so on the on march 22nd 1944 exciting times okay ready yeah paddy she was given an extra egg for breakfast this is a good sign it is a good Something's sign because We've got to remember the spies. This yeah. was a secret signal, and it was a Excellent. secret signal that she would be flying out that night. Because you never know who's who's around you. There could be German counter spies in there. Well, what was the, what Who was don't the understand thing? the egg-based system? <laughs> well, was it wolves have ears? Is that World yeah, yeah. War Two? Yeah, and all that yeah. kind of like loose lips sink ships. ships. That's it. Depends what kind of lips you're talking about. <laughs> <Joe>. <laughs> Always the lowest common denominator. You deserve a smack round the chops for that. That was horrendous. We're talking about the waff here. Rain it in. Well, of course, the waff never have loose lips. No. No. They do not sink the ships. <laughs> they keep their lips tight. They do. As good waffs do. Mm. Uh, so she's been given her extra egg, the mm-hmm. secret signal she's flying out that night. Because they always flew them out at night to of try course. and avoid detection. Yes. She's excited. Mm-hmm. You would be. You've been training for this. You've you've honed your tightrope walking skills. She's, she, you can she's climb a spruce of... in half a second. <laughs> Do you know what? She's the kind of woman I imagine she is literally now. Chomping at the bit. Oh my God, she's ready. She's mm. ready. Go Paddy. But there's a problem. Take off, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not too soggy. But as they crossed the channel, the plane flew into thick fog. Mm, occupational hazard the channel erring on the side of caution the pilot because you know he's been flying people over yeah he said look we'll turn around Mm. we'll go back Mm. tomorrow morning we'll give you another double egg so (laughs) win-win for you and we'll try again tomorrow night Mm -hmm. paddy Mm. she disagreed and she just jumped from the plane she just went she just went as far as i can tell she didn't even know that she was over the drop zone she just went (laughs) nope (laughs) <laughs> no, she would have been in. She, no, I've been on the have, sidelines too long. This is my chance. Paddy had, away! <laughs> they would have had some idea of where they were. They did have instruments in the planes. We're not talking about crates here. No, I know. I, I just love the idea that she just jumped out shouting, McGubbins! <laughs> McGubbins! And off she went. Yeah. Anyway, the, the problem was with the thick fog as well, mm-hmm. that although the plane may have had instruments, she didn't. No. Uh, and she wasn't able to gauge how far she was from the ground. Oh, God. She landed heavily and only had a moment or two to convince herself that her back was definitely broken before she passed out. Oh, Paddy. 
she woke uh-huh. feeling something breathing heavily on her face. Oh, my God. And she was convinced was that she'd already been captured oh, before no. she'd even no, started. No, 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 no. If it's breathing on your face, it'll be a dog. No, no, no. What's a dog? It was a French cow. Amazing. Luckier still, the two million francs she had strapped to her back had cushioned her fall. So she'd literally... Cushioned? Yeah, this was paper money. She'd literally okay. been uh, saved by money. Um, enough to protect, prevent any serious injuries. She was definitely beat up. Mm-hmm. You know, this was... It wasn't like she could now just carry on. She was in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was picked up by resistance operatives and taken to a safe house. Then, after a full 24 hours sleeping off her ordeal, mm-hmm. she was ready to begin her work. Oh, Paddy. She's in France. It was a bumpy ride together. Yeah. But now she's going to put those tightrope walking skills to the test. <laughs> she's going to do it. Come on, Paddy. Paddy's, I'm rooting for her now. Paddy's cover story yeah. was that she was... Michelin Marcel Simonet. Oh my God, this is getting very hello, hello, Joe. Yeah. I'm a, very excited. A doctor's secretary from Paris who was taking a month's leave to try and track down a lost Belgian relative. Ever tell you this only once? Mm. So she's been given this cover story and she was given <laughs> letters to back up the story. Yeah. Unfortunately, after the first month, her mm-hmm. alibi was completely useless because her entire story was... I am a, 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 yeah, a secretary from Paris and I'm taking a month off to try and find a relative. So, of course, after a month passes... She needs to go. Yeah, she needs to go back to her job. Mm-hmm. So people will be going, well, why, why are you still here, Michelin Marcel Simonet? Um, this was particularly unfortunate as she was expected to remain in France for the remainder of the war. So it wasn't like they'd given her a month's task to do. Okay. They'd given her a cover story that would not last as long as her mission would last. And then it was like, well, muddle through after that, please. So it's Paddy, don't worry. She immediately came up with a better story and got to work delivering supplies and messages in the 50 kilometre region around Limoges. Mm -hmm. And she also served as a covert radio operator. Amazing. Oh, it is. It's, It's a low, a low. For real. So, you know France. I know of it. I have been. And you know what the national pastime of France is? Boule. Well, aside from boule, how do they get anywhere? Le bicyclette. The bicycle, yes. So you'd think that part of the training for anyone going over to France mm. who's not going to have access to a motor car might be... A bike. To be able to ride a bicycle. Yeah. Or... A little moped. They like those in France as well. Well, yes. Paddy, though, bless her, no one had asked her if she could ride a bike. And she could not ride a bike. I can't ride a bike. But in order to perform her duties, Paddy was given, by the local French resistance, a bicycle. Oh, my God. So that she could make better use of the countryside paths that would bring her into least contact with the occupying forces because there were roadblocks set up. Yeah. Looking for people who might just be spies. Mm Mm-hmm potentially Irish spies working for the English secret services. That can um, speak several languages but can't ride so a bike. She, she took her bike yeah, and she headed off to a quiet lane to practice because she's she's sensible, she's eminent, she's competent at many things. How long will it take her to learn to ride well, a bike? She can, she can tightrope walk so she's got balance. Yeah. So she, she got on this French country road. Yeah. Nice and isolated. She set off, uh-huh. had a bit of a wobble, uh-huh. fell off. 
Yeah, story of yeah. my bicycle career, really. She sat there, gave the bicycle a hard stare. It <laughs> stared back in that <laughs> metallic bicycle way. Yeah. At that point, a squad of German guards marched around the corner. And they decided that they'd been marching for a while and they were going to take a break in order to watch Paddy struggling to ride her bicycle, cheering and laughing each time she fell off. What twats. Why did they do that? One of them could have held the back of the bike and given her a push. A la Kitty learning to ride a bike. No, they sat and watched, cheering and laughing. But to be fair to them, eventually she got the hang of it and she rode off to applause from the German soldiers. They should do. For shame. That was awful. But she had radio equipment on her. If they'd have given her a cursory search, she would have been found out. And instead, she was able to ride off to complete her tasks as an agitator for the French resistance. Amazing. To the applause of of Germans. No, no. I I don't like that term. I don't like using the... They are German, but... Of Nazi soldiers. Thank you. Because... As we all know, not every German was Nazi. As, as we know, Austrians and Italians were involved as well. <laughs> no, not every German. No, that's was a true. Nazi. So try and refrain from using that, please. The dirty Germans. No, she had her radio in a basket in the front of her bike when she was stopped at a German Nazi soldier checkpoint. Mm-hmm. She approached the guards confidently and began chatting. Then one of the guards asked her out. She told him she would, but only if he took her to a place where she wouldn't be recognised by the regulars. Fair dues. Because she was playing the role properly and she was saying, look, I can't be seen to be canoodling with the enemy. Mm. Um, It was all in vain, though, as the soldier, even though he'd secured a hot date, uh, he went to open the basket. Oh, no. Oh, Paddy. But don't worry, because a German officer interrupted saying that Paddy reminded him of a German Fraulein. Well, she will. The suggestion... Well, she's half German. The suggestion being that she's a slightly larger stock than the average See, French now, waif. I imagine she's called Greta. Yeah. Or Broomhilda. Well, or something, you know. It gives it gives yeah. that kind of... Mm. Well, she leapt on the opportunity to, to stall and she told him, yeah, my mum was German. Wow. The officer then asked her on a date... And she decided that she was better off siding with the officer than she was with the soldier. Well, and actually, she, I bet she didn't want neither, really. And she agreed, and they fixed a time for the next day. Gosh. They chatted in German and Flemish for over half an hour before she was finally able to ride off with her equipment undiscovered. Oh, my God, she's lucky. That was squeaky bum time. Yeah, she was, she was using her power of German Fraulein flirt. <laughs> get, you, get your flirt on, Fraulein. Yeah. Well, literally Ooh. to save her life. To save her life, yeah. Because of the 42 female agents who served in F Division, yeah. 16 did not survive. And 13 oh of those met their end in German concentration camps. <gasps> so the stakes were real. It wasn't like, oh, you're a lady, we no. will let you off. No, 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 no. If no, you no, were no, caught no, doing no, this. No, no, it didn't matter, did yeah. it? Um, we've all seen the images of the, the lady in the concentration camp. And to be honest, she... God love her, she doesn't even look human. Mm. Never mind, can you tell whether she's <clears throat> a, of male or female mm. origin or whatever? It, it, it's just shocking. But she survived up until D-Day. Mm. And shortly after D-Day, in June 1944, Paddy was stopped again. This time, though, by members of the French Milice. 
I don't know what that is. Well, these were Frenchmen with far-right leanings because every country has them. Okay. But these guys had immediately sided with the Nazis during the occupation. Right. They liked the hobbies were torture and summary execution. <laughs> they wouldn't do well on blind date, would they? <laughs> <laughs> and I won't do a Scylla because I can't do a Scylla. I'm too <laughs> Lancashire for a Scylla. I'm sorry, I can't. A lot of, lot of laughs. Thank you. <laughs> no, there, there would be no laughing. There would be pain. <laughs> and then death. <laughs> torture. <laughs> I have to torture you. Uh, no, so... They were French. Yeah, they were French, but they were they were trying to side with the Germans. Okay. Anyway, um, the resistance members, the French resistance members, considered them even more dangerous than the Gestapo or the SS. Basically, it's it's there. Is, there is no one more. Um, oh God, what, what's what's the thingy, Bob? Than the recently converted. Oh, there's none as holy as none as holy as the recently converted. Yeah. And these guys, you know the. The whole Nazi machine had started in the early 30s, even before that. So the, people had almost got acclimatised to it. Whereas these guys, it was a short, sharp shock. And suddenly mm-hmm. they were given free reign to let out all of the hatred, all of the racism, all of the misogyny with basically no um, controls does... on them. So they were much more dangerous because they didn't feel like they needed to follow the, the rules of no. the, the system that they were in. It, it does it does make you question, as somebody who definitely wouldn't be like that, mm. because, you know, we've, we've learned from the past. It, it does beg the question, really, for me, how you can get to that point I don't quite understand it. How you can get to the point what of 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 that and think it's acceptable and and take joy from that. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's so far removed from so many It seems to be people, people. who were told that they were entitled to stuff oh, yeah. but through their own failings weren't able to attain those heights and because they couldn't accept it and use it as an an opportunity for growth and this goes for all people involved in far right wing conspiracy theories as far as i'm concerned it's you hit that point where you fail yes like we all do at some point in our lives and you can either use it as a chance to self-reflect and look inwards and say how can i improve next time or you can just say it's nothing to do with me and yeah. try and find an outside actor somebody else <clears throat> who, who you can blame for it mm. and unfortunately a lot of these guys they love the idea that it's not me Mm. It's the fact that there's, you know, a, a worldwide Jewish conspiracy. That's the reason I couldn't get on. Mm. You know, mm. it's, it's the mm. fact that these, you know, communists and these people are, are, are putting me down and are trying to stop me from having my birthright. It's very, very... It, it's very easy to convince yourself of that if you are unable to see your own failings. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I and as soon as you start yeah. saying that other people have done you wrong you start being able to justify at first petty things and then more and more extreme things to punish those people for what what they see as personal attacks on them. Yeah. I just, I, I, you know, I also, you, you know that they, they're also feeding this to their offspring and mm. or grandchildren or whatever. And so, you, you, I mean, you're starting yeah. like a whole no one's born generational racist. thing. No, they're not. It's just... No one's born with any views about other people. It's always something that's constructed through the the prejudices of others and 
and probably being prejudiced towards far right wing people. I mean, a lot of them are in terrible situations. It's just that they've been manipulated into blaming mm. Mm. easy scapegoats as, as an acceptable coping mechanism. Mm. Yeah, and often by the people who have actually been uh, orchestrating the very policies that put them down. Yeah, in order to deflect blame from themselves. Well. I know that we said we'd get into government and we'd this make things better. This is getting very wheels within wheels now. Should we get back to Paddy? Bring it up. Let's okay, bring so we've got, these, we've got these far-right Frenchmen. Yes. Um, and they've decided that they're going to search her. And they rummaged through her purse while she was trying to keep them distracted with small talk. Mm-hmm. So she was trying the same thing, but these weren't... These weren't German oh, officers lusting so after worried. a Fraulein. No, I'm really worried about Paddy now. Yeah. They came within millimetres of finding the secret code she was carrying in her purse. But Paddy lived to fight another day. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I mean, the codes were there. They were in plain view. It's just by the grace of whatever power was looking over Paddy that they skipped it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it may have been that her small talk was just... Just whispering yeah. enough for them to go, bloody hell, whatever. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You are obviously not a spy. No, you um, gabbling woman. Stop it. So, and that was it. That was her last brush oh with potential God. death. And at the end oh of the war, God. Paddy returned to England and was awarded an MBE for her efforts. So she should... What, what a hero. She's and she, my hero now. And she would have gone on with a long and successful career mm. in espionage. But someone from her division decided to name her as one of the members of F Division to the press. And it was decided that it would no longer be safe for her to work as a spy in Europe, considering her photo, name and details had been put in a newspaper. That was a bloke, wasn't it? That was that was bitter lemon. No, it was it was anonymous. Couldn't figure it out. May have been one of the other ladies, may have been one of the blokes, we don't know. Defo's bitter lemons though, that. Well, she had to be sent somewhere where people wouldn't know her. Uh-huh. So she was sent to Calcutta in October 1945 oh, as a French liaison officer for the RAF. Okay. She, so she's not in the WAF, she's in the RAF now. Yeah, she's in the RAF. She's made it from WAF to RAF. Brilliant. While okay. there, she gave an in-depth interview about her time in France, thinking it had been sanctioned by the RAF because the journalist had told her that they had got permission from the RAF for her to disclose all of this information. That was a lie, and it had not been sanctioned by the RAF. The military were offended by some of the criticisms Paddy made, <laughs> including that the clothes they sent her with were too English to be safe, in that literally they were sending them over with things that had been made on Savile Row. So they were trying oh, to blend in now. as French civilians who had been living under occupation for a number of years wearing brand new tailored clothes. They'll have said made in bloody England. Oh no, they took they? the labels out, but they were like bespoke handmade clothes. They're like, we're send you, we're going to send you with the best. And she was like, please don't. Please send me with the kind of clothes that maybe, I don't know, a low paid secretary would wear. If that's my cover story, yeah, that'd be useful. you could have probably gone, got somebody in France to have gone to like a second hand clothes shop or something. It's, and, they were working with the resistance. Clothes. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know whatever and sent a hamper of clothes back so that they could at least go with something looking fitting well she she had a few others but that was apparently the main problem she had was that she was 
woman after my own heart. It's the details. And she was sent over with clothes that she couldn't wear, so she immediately had to just dump them and then going back hmm? to James Bond. What in his dress shoe? Fucking shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe this is where it's all. I'm pretty from. sure as soon as Paddy got over there, she eyed up one of the French resistance fighters and went, "Give us your boots." Yeah, I'm oh, having those. Yeah. What size are you? you've got? A small, effeminate foot. Come on, put it on here. Yeah. Put it on my hoof. Well. Either way, mm. whether her criticisms were valid, they mm-hmm. were. They were. Or not. They, they were. were. Um, her career in the military was over. They decided oh, that actually Patty. this was the second time in two years that she'd been outed as a spy. Firstly, not her fault. Secondly, no. very much her fault. She'd given an in-depth interview about all the spying she had done yeah, and but, how she spied. But kind of really not her fault because she What, because someone told- had lied to her? Yeah, but again, she was but supposed she to be a spy. Okay, <laughs> I mean, yeah. okay maybe, she, maybe she's a little bit at fault there, but yeah. I'm siding with Paddy because I like her. I like Paddy too, but if you're a spy, step one should be not talking about your spying. Even if people tell you it's okay, you should probably yeah. go and check that beforehand. Maybe she was just excited to talk about Oh, sorry. Maybe she was just excited to talk about it. She might have been excited. And do you know what? She didn't give a shit. I bet she didn't. Paddy, at this point, did not care. She's a bloody legend at this point. She didn't care for two reasons. Okay. One, yeah. I don't think Paddy was the kind of person who apologised for anything she did. Okay, fair enough. It seemed like she was like, well, I did my job. I helped. Mm-hmm. Why are you getting angry at me? You're the one who sent me to bleed in Calcutta. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my fault I got sent to Calcutta. Mm-hmm. And secondly, she met someone. Oh. And going back to our from friend... From Calcutta? Uh, no, 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 not from Calcutta. And oh. going back to our friend... God, I'm going way back. McGubbins? No, not McGubbins. Okay. Hugh Dalton. Hugh Dalton. The Minister for Economic Warfare. Yeah. She'd met a dashing chartered accountant. Or financial advisor. No, definitely. Okay, a chartered accountant. A chartered accountant. Okay. And not only did he have the sexiest job, mm-hmm. he had the sexiest accent because he was from Yorkshire. Oh! <gasps> That's right. And he was called Walter Alvey. Walter Alvey from Yorkshire. And Walter Alvey managed to sweep Paddy, Paddy O'Sullivan off her feet. Oh, what That's a what she wanted story. in her life. Yeah. They married in Calcutta. Gosh. What was he doing in Calcutta? He was doing some chartered accountancy. In Calcutta? Yes. You go where the work is. That's bizarre. Well... He's in an opportunity, and it's a good job he did go out for that well, job yeah. because he met he the met love of Paddy. his life. He oh. met Paddy O'Sullivan. They married in Calcutta, like I said, before yeah. she moved with him to Ilkley in West Yorkshire. On Ilkley Mall Bartat. Mm. And that was it. The adventurous life of Paddy O'Sullivan was set aside. And Maureen Alvey yeah, really. spent a happy 50 years living quietly in northern England oh. and raising two sons. Oh, Paddy. Yeah. Maureen, Paddy, Alvey, Nee O'Sullivan, mm-hmm. finally died on March 5th, 1993. Oh. Having got all of her adventuring out in her early years. Yeah. And then living a second, quieter Oh, like a little But equally life. happy life oh, yeah. in Yorkshire. Yeah. Well, being a parent is an adventure, isn't it? Mm. A daily adventure. <laughs> one, one sometimes very much you've got to grin and bear it. So there you go. A, a spy mm-hmm. who one could argue 
is better than James Bond. There's no argument. She hands down is, and she was part of the WAF. She was a WAF. She was a so SOE. Yeah. She was a RAF. Yeah. She she got many initials during her brief stint in in the armed forces. Oh, Don't forget yeah. that she'd been working as a nurse before all of that. Yes. You know she she covered quite a bit of ground what in those woman. early years, what and a then woman. had the had the ability. Mm. To set all of that aside. Well, whoever raised her in Belgium obviously did a very her good... Auntie, her auntie, her Belgian aunt. Did a very good job. I, I can't tell you the name of the Belgian aunt. I feel really bad because, yeah. And let's not forget Aloysius. Yeah, that's true. You know, he, he was a single dad. He was a single dad. Raising a daughter in a war zone. Yeah, and he did the right thing, didn't he? Mm. Because look in the what end. She, in the end, just look what, you know, she went on to do. Well, like I said, I maintain that maybe sending her earlier wouldn't have been the right thing to do. I don't know.